Welcome to the Ordinary Church Podcast, a discussion of God's extraordinary works through His ordinary ways. I'm Winston Weber, and today I have Pastor Mike with me. Greetings unto you, Mike. Greetings unto you, Winston. All righty. So now today we have something a little different. I know we say that every week, but it's true. We want to look at some current events and think about them from a Christian's perspective. How are we supposed to respond to these things like the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act that was struck down? Mike, it is easy to look at these headlines flooding our feeds and not feel a little disheartened. How should I think about these different issues and how should I be fighting against it? Or should I be fighting against it? Well, first, let me say that I realize these are hot button issues and a lot of emotion is involved. I mean, I guess I would say to every Christian, you should address every issue, every topic from the vantage point of two questions. What does the Bible say? And how does what Jesus did at the cross transform this? And I'm probably going to restate this several times today, but there must be a clear call amongst believers to loving Christian conviction and compassion. I mean, we are dealing with real people in real pain, making real choices in real time, in real situations. This isn't make-believe, and and we cannot be insensitive or explain away people's real lives. So talk to me on a broader scale about how we respond to these different moral issues happening in our day. I think that the primary focus we want to take, since this is the Ordinary Church podcast, primarily want to help Christians navigate these topics. And the question really is, how can we shepherd the flock? How can pastors and elders shepherd the flock appropriately so that they glorify God in all that they do? And so really, we will be best served by making sure we address it from the standpoint of leaders in the local church and how they can equip people to engage redemptively with the gospel with real people. Everyone is responsible for their own lives and their own choices. But in terms of the church standing together for the gospel, led by a plurality of elders, preaching the word, and wanting to reach the world, we need to have a unified mindset. We need to have a biblical worldview, a unified biblical worldview. And really, that's what I hope to give you today. The call in a Christian's life is to love Jesus Christ above all. And Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will do what I command. We will do what he says, and his commands are not suggestions. They're authoritative, and they're binding on our consciences. And so we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. So there's a lot of love that needs to be put forth towards other people. And all people are struggling with some sin. And love and truth must be the clear outflow of the love of God in us, in our hearts, and his truth in our lives. And we know truth transforms. Paul told the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, the word of God does its work in us who believe. So we who believe must be the best citizens of our earthly cities and must be the most loving people. And we're often known, are we not? We're often known for the sour frown and for the, the looking down at things that we don't approve of. And, and that doesn't help relationships. It seems that so many Christians have looks of horror on their faces and express such disdain for people who sin, forgetting that they too sin, they too struggle with sin on an ongoing basis, and that on the larger picture, they were caught in sin before Jesus rescued them out of the pit of destruction. And so I want to remind our listeners of the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you're a believer and you're listening to this, listen to 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11. Here's what Paul said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, 
nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And get this, here's what he says next. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And what happens is there are some Christians who seem to have no problem with sin, their own sin or even someone else's sin. It's probably not how they feel deep down, but they don't want to offend someone. They don't want to look unloving, and so they airbrush over blatant sin in their own life or in someone else's lives. And we shouldn't expect unbelievers to act like believers, but we should stand for the Bible and not side with immorality in our lives or in anyone's life, really. Now, shifting specifically to abortion, then, let, let's talk about the a very uncomfortable subject, because we're talking about, if we are Christians, we're talking about something that is ripping a image bearer of God who is in arguably the most innocent form. Obviously, we're all born in Adam. I, I understand that. But really, somebody who is a person and killing them before they've even drawn breath. And so talk to me in a gospel setting about abortion in general. Abortion is murdering children. Anyone saying otherwise has blinders on and is fooling themselves. Genesis chapter 1 clearly states the reality. God created us male and female. We were made in the image of God. Psalm 139, I mean, Winston, you know these words. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. So the psalmist is praising God. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than sand. I awake and I am still with you. It's very clear from the Bible that God creates life, God gives life. The sanctity of life is, is so clear, and I cannot see how anyone in 2019 could not admit that abortion is murder. And just because our society sanctions it doesn't mean that it's allowable under God. We answer to God. This is a scourge upon the church and upon our society. We cannot underestimate the destructive nature of, of the entire industry built upon murder. You can call it by a different name. You can call it choice. You can call it rights of the mother and totally ignore the most vulnerable among us. It should make us weep. And I think it is striking. An unborn child that is wanted is called a child. And an unborn child that is not wanted is called a fetus. And we practice a very, very uh, virulent form of discrimination. Uh, at the highest level, it's treason against God and his making us in his image. Abortion is murder. I mean, those are powerful words. I, I really appreciate everything you just said. And let's just keep moving on here. We have, uh, I, I want to talk about that Born Alive uh, Abortion Survivors Protection Act that was just struck down in the Senate. Uh, some have called it an anti-infanticide bill. Uh, others are saying that it would restrict the rights of uh, the mother or it would put too much weight on a doctor performing his duties. 
talk to me about what what should be our response to this bill and to this decision, really. I think that defeating that bill was indefensible. I think it was sheer lunacy. I think it's one more steep slide down the immoral pathway that we have been going down in our society. Many people are going to claim there are already laws on the books, so we don't need that. But what is what is sad is that many people are doing things contrary to those current laws. And so why would you not want to protect the most vulnerable amongst us, those with no voice? Absolutely. I, I, I don't think we need to say much beyond it was wrong. This bill protects life. Mm-hmm. Anybody on any side of this issue has to recognize that a baby outside of the womb is autonomous. We would recognize that from the very beginning when sperm hits egg, we understand that as a human being has every every DNA strand that it needs to survive. But for even on those other sides, that pro-choice side, the pro-abortion side, even they should recognize this is a human being living on the outside. Right. Really at its basic foundation, it's me saying that my choices are more important than anyone else. It's really exalting self above everyone else and really exalting our supposed autonomy against God. It really does raise up ourselves up against the knowledge of God. Well, what's striking too is this is kind of like the other side of that Virginia bill and that New York bill that are saying that it's okay to have an abortion all the way up to the point of birth. Right. And I remember listening to that senator, or I think it was the governor of Virginia, talk about that bill, and he talks in such plain, calm language about, oh, this is what we would do, and we would go through these different steps, and people are just making a bigger deal out of it than they need to. That is striking language for talking, putting a baby on a table in the next room to discuss whether or not we should murder it, and saying people are making a bigger deal out of it than it needs to be. That is a mind-blowing reality. It's mind-blowing and it's mind-numbing. The fact is, and you go back to creation, you go back to God creating us male and female, you go back to God knowing everything about us and, and knowing our life before it even exists and the sanctity of life. And you go back to that and you go back to the gospel and you say, Jesus came to earth to die for lost sinners. Every person is important. Every person is valued in God's sight because they're made in the image of God. Left to themselves, not acknowledging God, mankind is going to devour themselves and ruin themselves. And God must be acknowledged in a person's life or else nothing's going to go right in their life. And if you're going to acknowledge God, you're going to acknowledge Jesus Christ. You're going to acknowledge the gospel that he died for our sins. He was buried. He rose from the dead. But the problem is you get so far down the line and you're thinking about yourself to such an extent that you just want what you want, no matter what anyone says or no matter the fallout. Absolutely. So let's move on then. I mean, we could talk all day about the horrors that are going on in America. And I, I, I mean— it is horrifying, and it needs to be talked about. It needs to be unveiled so that people recognize the atrocities that are happening. But me, right here, Mike, what am I supposed to do about it? A lot of Christians like to curse the darkness, right? Mm-hmm. They're just like, wow, look how bad it is out there. And they're you know, hunkered down in their bunker and just waiting for uh, Jesus to return. So a lot of Christians, they like to curse the darkness. 
Other Christians, they want to condemn fellow Christians for their choices or even for them standing up for life and their attempts to help. Or some Christians, they want to just ignore it and do nothing. And I think it runs the whole gamut. And I think Romans 13 makes it clear that Christians are to obey the governing authorities, obey just laws. But when a law literally approves of evil, approves of sin, absolutely goes against the word of God, we cannot stand with that law. The apostles made it clear what they would do in the New Testament. Acts chapter 4, verse 18, they called them, they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So I guess that that is absolutely true. We we need to be fighting against that. We not we can't just wail and whine against the terrors that are happening. But on a practical level, I mean, the government isn't forcing me to have an abortion as of right now. But and I I would never have a baby inside of me. So I guess you know that kind of answers that question. <laughs> but when we talk about this, should I be anything from Voting against these bills, which obviously you've kind of talked about, all the way to you know praying in front of the abortion centers, or you even get to the the farthest extreme where Christians are blowing up abortion centers or killing doctors. It happens in very rare cases. But talk to me about that. Like this is a serious issue. So how should I be thinking about those instances? Well, first of all, two wrongs don't make a right. So never disobey God, even if you are doing civil disobedience. And so never, never go against the sanctity of life. Never go against the commandments of God. Never go against the gospel truth. And so the idea here is that plenty of people will have all sorts of ideas of how they should respond to something as bad as abortion. And sometimes their response is also very bad. And so we have to be very careful. We have to, again, A clear call needs to go through the ranks of Christendom for loving Christian conviction and compassion and obey the laws of the land unless push comes to shove and the government is telling you you have to go against God. And let's say the government says at some point in the future or in some country, you can't have more more than than two two kids or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you're going to have to really think through as a Christian, how am I going to respond? But I think Christians need to respond in a way that is loving God with all their heart and loving their neighbor as themselves. And there is a spectrum. I think it's very easy for Christians to say, well, that way of responding is good, and this way over here is bad, whether that be praying in front of an abortion clinic or whether that's just praying in the privacy of your own home or whether that's trying to affect the laws of the land. And so I think you've got to give people freedom to Love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart and be themselves. You know, let God lead, let God provide the people and raise people up to make a difference in the world. We know that evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, 2 Timothy 3. But we also know that God wants us to make a difference, a redemptive difference for the gospel in our time right now until Jesus returns. Absolutely. And so our call should be, our call should be on a spectrum of different responses. We, one, don't want to neglect the fact that prayer is powerful. On the one hand, that needs to be—every Christian should be doing that, right? We need to be praying against this evil that is happening in our country right now. 
and all those other opportunities, we can be looking for those. If it's whether that means praying in front of the abortion clinics, whether that means donating to the pro-life organizations, whether that means even just talking to those who have had abortions or are about to have abortions and speaking to them and declaring the gospel to them, any of those things should be avenues that we should explore. And we need to be more proactive in those, even if it just means we need to be praying. Absolutely, Winston. If we hold our convictions, what the Bible is clearly teaching, and we are loving and compassionate, and then we make our choices based on those things, we're going to obey the Word of God, we're going to have a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, and we're going to be compassionate towards people, and we're going to try to make a difference in society, a redemptive gospel difference, then there is a range of things that Christians can be involved in and I think we have to be careful not to judge our fellow Christians that are doing something in those realms within the guidelines of biblical principles that are allowable. And maybe we don't like that so much, but let's see how God might use that. So one, one point on this before we jump to the next thing, if you're looking for more things to do, one thing that I would suggest to you is there's a really good website out there called endabortionnow.com great website, has a lot of different resources. So if you want to check out more concrete ways on how to stop that, great resource to go check out. So lastly, how should we respond to those women who have had abortions? It's becoming more and more common in our society. I know I've had conversations with women who have had abortions, and help me through that. How should I be responding to these women? Now we are in a completely different arena. Now we are in the arena of personal relationships, not public policy, and there must be, and I'll repeat, a clear call to loving Christian conviction and compassion. Any response assumes a relationship. If you mean by response, what should we do in response to a woman who's had an abortion who asks, you know, is there forgiveness for me in Christ? The answer is a resounding yes, absolutely. But there are women who have had abortions that think it's okay. That's a whole nother issue. And I think the heart of what you're asking, Winston, is should we condemn or condone or celebrate or be compassionate? Or even ignore. Right. And I think that that's an easy answer. We must treat everyone with love and respect and honor and compassion. If you're talking about a woman who has chosen to abort a baby or babies in the past and now deeply regrets it, and lives with that pain daily and is repentant and is trusting in Jesus Christ, you have to assure that person there is forgiveness in Christ. There is a place for her in the church. Absolutely. Jesus forgives and heals. Jesus saves. In fact, I would say that anyone who has chosen to abort a baby, whether it's a man or a woman, who doesn't know Christ, and you're listening to this, I would say there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Jesus yeah. forgives and heals. Jesus saves. Turn to Christ. Remember in 1 Corinthians 6, I read earlier, the key word was, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were cleansed. Praise God, right? Praise God for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Amen, Mike. I, I can't I can't stress how much this is uh, just heartbreaking to hear all these different topics because we are talking about a very serious life-threatening issue but we know that there is hope in Christ we know that and so i i can't say amen 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 enough that the blood of 
Jesus Christ can cleanse even this sin. While heinous, while bad, we need to speak the truth. It is bad, but there's love. Now, I, I got to end on a high note. This is fantastic news that there is redemption in Christ. So we're going to end it right here. We're going to talk later about more issues um, involving current events. But if you want to hear more issues like this, please write to us. We have a email at ordinarychurch at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we're excited to know what topics you want us to discuss. So if you have any questions, go ahead and send it there and we will be sure to get to them as soon as possible. Mike. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was fantastic, and praise the Lord that we have hope. Thank you, Winston. Everyone, have a good one. This has been Ordinary Church.